Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor, Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And, um, you know, we are still kind of in the middle of our, our prayer and fasting season. Yeah. And... Um, How's it going? <laughs> it's going... It's going well. Um, it's been a challenge, mm-hmm. right? As it should be. I mean, that's the whole point that's of the it. That's the point, yep. That's the point of it. Um, so I'm definitely hungry more parts of the day than I'm used to because I'm not feeding that hunger, right? We're, we're turning to the Lord. And your physiology is very specific when it comes... Like you don't eat enormous amounts of food, you but you eat at very specific times. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't eat large portions all at once. I mean, I just never, I never have. It's just like like a little bird, just kind of like uh-huh. pecking all day long, snacking, <laughs> and so removing said yep. snacking uh, has revealed some things. <laughs> so, like when you have if, horses, for instance, okay. You feed them at a specific time. If you're five minutes late, they're actually already standing at the fence with a bro. What is up? Look. Now, keeping yeah. in mind, they live in food. Like they are living in the pasture. They're surrounded by that is food. true. But if you're, I mean, four minutes late, they're already there. And that that kind of reminds me of of your vibe. Like it's eleven twenty. Yeah, the we've talked about this a little bit. Like the the distance, the line between hungry and hangry for me is short. Yeah, cuz I wouldn't I don't think there's a line. I think there's a switch. Like yeah, like the line of demarcation is there's no build up to it. It's just yeah. <laughs> it's and I you know, I mean, I I'm I'm addressing that through this season to, to try to do better. Do you think Jesus was hangry then? Like I'm wondering, and he had to be. I mean, you know, a righteous anger is what I would call it. I mean, the amount of, like 40 days, okay. Oh, man. And I'm told, by the way, by others that have actually gone full fast, full whatever, that you actually, the hunger goes away. I don't even know what they're talking about. Like that, when, when I hear somebody say, you remember in high school, like a cheerleader, like, oh, I just forgot to eat lunch. Impossible. Are you kidding me? It's never crossed my mind one time. I woke up thinking about lunch. Like, breakfast is like, I was thinking about that last night. Like, the idea of forgetting to eat is completely anathema to me. So I, I don't understand 38 days in or whatever that, you, that the hunger goes away. But uh, I, I will say, conversely, that the last, so we're 11 days mm-hmm. in? Um, so I'm, I've been doing one meal a day, which is funny in the olden days that sounded like, Oh, that'd be really hard. And now it's like, I mean, all the CrossFit people, that's what they do in general, like intermittent fasting. Yeah. Like we have an elder that he eats one meal a day. Um, just as normal, just normal. And you would never, I mean, never know it until you meet him for lunch and he's not ordering anything Wow. or he schedules a, a meeting over a lunch hour that wasn't a lunch meeting. But so for me, you know, this is kind of a big deal, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I mean, I woke up and, uh, had my water, uh, slammed a, a Celsius and, and I'm not, I'm not hungry right now. Now I will say this, these are fasting decisions that are, I don't think Jesus had to deal with. <laughs> Mo and I are meeting someone for lunch today. So I have to decide, do I eat lunch and then, you know, I'm not, I'm not eating dinner or do I sit and watch you guys eat tacos at Mojo's? And I think we already know how that's going to go. Yeah. It, my biological time clock is so predictable when it comes to, to, to feeding times. Feeding. <laughs> Not I have eating, a, but feeding. I have a, like, I can tell you what time of day it is without using a clock based upon the level of uh, hunger and urgency from my stomach. And here's, here's what's embarrassing is the fact that, you know, I have a brand new grandson and he's three months old 
we have very similar responses to when it's time to eat. Oh, you believe this to be genetic? <laughs> I'm saying he's he lets us know when he's hungry and it's like on the clock. <laughs> like so, so predictable. So are you and, and I'm 42 years older than him and I'm still acting the same way. <laughs> so does Jen ever like uh like is it like being diabetic and you're having a low <laughs> blood sugar, so she just throws you an apple. So, but your low blood sugar is you're just being a jerk, so she just feed, <laughs> throws you some sun chips and hopes I, for the best. I can't be the only one that 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 has these uh, these these desires, which is what we're getting into do to do uh, into today. Actually, is like these needs and desires, yeah. hunger and thirst, which is from John seven. Yep, and. You know, this, which obviously lines up with this season of prayer and fasting right now that exposes some things. Yep. Right? Yeah, it it does. And it it's wild because there's two things that it sort of coalesces with, but obviously where we are in John and also where, where the world is right now, like where the amount of hunger in the world right now, thirst, that is... It's it's grown exponentially since pandemic policies, and and then meanwhile in you know somewhere in Europe, Klaus Schwab and Davos, you know, they're actually there was a there was a big story in, in the uh, Washington Post yesterday about how uh, there's a a, a a poll that is over like it's not as hopeful. 2013, it was like a Batman hero. Or I'm sorry, Batman villain um, getting ready to take over the city. Now it's ten years later, and they're sort of wringing their hands because nobody's listening to us. Um, I mean, people don't remember that. I didn't remember that in 2013, Dmitry Medvedev, the president of Russia, and Xi Jinping were both heralded as these examples of like globalization, and uh, apparently neither one of them got the invite this year um, from it. But the, what they're talking about a lot is is hunger on the planet and famine that's coming and that is here combined with policies that have increased famine exponentially. Um, but these policies that are ca causing fertilizer to become wickedly overpriced and expensive or now causing places like Africa to starve. And of course they're blaming it on a war in, in Russia is apparently the, uh, it couldn't possibly be that we created a bunch of other policies that put this in place. And so, yeah, hunger, my little one meal a day, like, uh, you know, I'm over here whining, you know, right. you talk about first world problems. No kidding. Um, that was, that's called Tuesday in Haiti and yeah. it's a bowl of rice and beans. I mean, we're getting ready to reintroduce chicken leg day at, at the school, which really? is, uh, what does that mean? What's that look like? It just means that for one one day a week, they get a chicken leg with their lunch because. Oh man! But it's so expensive. We had to do away with it for the last okay. two years, and battered and spiced. Well, a little Haitian, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you talk about. I mean, dude, the kids. It's like the ice cream truck. So cool for a chicken leg, and for us, you know, chicken legs. I mean, I could I, look. I could polish off ten of those. <laughs> There's not that much meat on the leg of a chicken. That is true. And these are Haitian chickens too, so these aren't exactly these not, you know skinny chickens. Yeah, these are these are, they're, these are not like uh, full figured chickens. You know, these these are <laughs> a little bit of meat on that. But the, the, there's the the inflation that is skyrocketing around the world uh, is causing hunger on a level that I mean. The, and look, this was not unknowable. You and I talked about this in March of 2020, April 2020, that this was going to set back 10 to 20 years of economic development in the nation is going to be erased in the world because of these ridiculous policies that were put in place uh, to shut down the world. And now Davos is here to try to save the world. And I'm sure you actually watch that a lot closer than I do. Like, what are you seeing coming out of that? Uh, it's, it's a nerdy... Um, hobby, but also very informative. You know, in in Western society, you know, we carry about our business and we follow the things that are in front of us. And you know, sports is always kind of front and center, especially in America and our reality TV shows. Um, 
there's also like really big things happening in the background. World leaders meeting um, annually to discuss the direction of the world. And now, when you say world leaders, someone had to throw the party, right? Someone had to throw the invites out. Yes, and that's not a government that's doing that. No, it's a it's a it's an organization called the World Economic Forum, and every year they have an uh, an event in Davos, Switzerland, uh, that invites up to like seven thousand, um, quote unquote, influencers, world leaders um, from from governments to corporations to banks literal decision makers that have uh, power, control, interest in globalization of some sort. This happens this happens every year and it has for the past several decades, but it's increased its its power and authority, especially during times of crisis, especially through things like a pandemic where countries are starting to work together to quote unquote solve problems that did not play out the way that they may have wanted over this past year in terms of the actual solution. <laughs> um, there was a bit of an uprise, uprising across many countries pushing back against the idea of globalization in terms of, you know, globally recognized ID or country recognized digital IDs to you know, green passes in terms of vaccinated versus unvaccinated in order to travel or to purchase food. A lot of the things they are trying to implement using biometrics and facial recognition and chips, implanted chips and certain things, like all of these things that they're pushing towards, um, is it comes with a cost. And, and one of those costs is just humanity pushing up against it to try to stop it. Yeah. Um, because they fear the the... Um, some of the implications that it could mean for security or freedoms. Yeah. While also having a whole contingency of people like welcoming this idea. Regardless, this year, World Economic Forum, their theme is cooperation in a fragmented world. Implication meaning we need to unify, mm -hmm. right? And the main kind of takeaway this year is the climate crisis, which we've continued to, to, to listen to and hear over the past few years. But they are now, have literally released a new word this week um, that they came up with to describe the global situation. Because you have what they would call climate crisis, cost of living, war and famine. So they, they are using this word, polycrisis, you're going to start hearing this world, polycrisis, over and over and over. Write that down. Polycrisis is the new buzzword um, that we're going to start hearing from, you know, world leaders, presidents. What, what do they mean by this word? They mean um, that there's multiple crises, crises in place right now that um, that is going to cause major problems in the future. So basically they're saying it's it's present and future risks can also interact with each other to form a polycrisis, a cluster of related global risks with compounding effects. <laughs> My question is how did the like that's not that's literally been the, that's the world. <laughs> right. That's the history of the world part 1. So for them they they give it a name and a title in a brand. So this is like a brand, right? This polycrisis yeah. that creates this, it creates fear, which gets your attention to, to then promote and push towards action. So their actionables this year are largely uh, focused on anything related to slowing down climate change. So the continued huge push in electric vehicles the continued huge push to um, eliminate farms, meat protein, and and switch away from like cows and chickens. Um, you, we've heard this in the background, but it's like taking front and center. 
This is happening in a major way in uh, Denmark right now. It is their goal to reduce carbon emissions by a third by eliminating a third of their farmland in cattle ranches. Wow. This is a this came across my news feed this morning. French dairy giant Danone said Tuesday it wants to slash methane emissions by 30%. There you go. But listen listen to their plan. Uh, by considering masking cows oh. to reduce methane emissions. Like <laughs> they would seek uh, emit less methane, but masking cows. You would think these are like comedy sketches or like memes. Uh-huh. These, this is like real. Like these are actual conversations that they're having. What's maddening to me right now is, and there's no way that they don't know this. There's no way that they don't. They couldn't. That the idea of we're going to solve the climate crisis with a move to electric cars, for instance, you know, is not about saving lives because to make electric vehicles, slavery is. Alive and well, I was finally some uh, Joe Rogan finally had a, someone on there talking about this. We've we've I've seen it firsthand, and I'm, it's been maddening over the years that nobody's talking about that the the things that we need, the minerals, the things that for creating the phones, cobalt, the lithium, that is coming from mining activity in sub-Saharan Africa right now where children are enslaved, abused, and nobody knows the death rates so that we could have electric cars, which uh, I, was listening, I was reading yesterday that the, what would have to happen for the technology to even catch up to be able to get enough cars on the road in the next decade has never been done in human history. Like, it's literally an impossible dream that we could actually re-engineer an entire industry in 10 years is actually like we could also fly like Superman like that. That's an option, but it's not an option because it doesn't work. But so to hear them use this as their, whether or not someone believes that climate change is caused by humans and God only knows how the previous centuries and thousands of years of earth, how the climate changed without this, we, wherever you believe is caused today is, the plans right now are not plans that are going to save lives. They're going to cost millions of lives just in starvation alone. When you start talking about reducing farmland at a time when uh, there was a meme floating on the Internet, like back when I was a kid, we had so many eggs, we threw them at houses. You know, they're, right. they're now a luxury item, you know, from, from eggs, stinking yeah. eggs. Uh, a, a dozen eggs this week. I was at the store. Dozen eggs, $5. I mean... I mean, it's 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 so that's eggs, that's chicken, that's like so when they reduce farmland to reduce emissions, in the same way that the COVID policies were put in place to try to save lives, these policies killed and are killing way more people than the virus did or could, and this is the climate version of that. You know, you might be listening and asking, okay, that's great and all. It's good to know it's happening, but, like, how does that affect me? You know, the number one way it is and will affect you, I mean, it already is affecting you, and the cost of living has already been impacted by climate change initiatives has put forth in, that have been put forth have have changed the food industry already. Um, so you've got... You've got legislation that has pushed things a certain direction that is impacting the cost of living. We have wars that are happening that are uh, affecting fertilizer, which then affects farmland, which is affecting affecting the cost of living, so on and so forth. And their whole goal for this, you know, the semantics of climate change versus climate crisis um, is to eventually push towards, and we're getting closer uh, this uh, social credit score idea because it will track your carbon footprint. Like the goal is to eliminate, to slow down um, the amount of you know carbon that we're emitting 
I think it was just this week that England has put forth an initiative to um, reduce driving by a third as well. So, and they're going to start tracking it. And then you start issuing citations if you've traveled outside your allotted mileage. Like these are all things that are in in the works. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the, so that's the the natural con- the logical conclusion of these kinds of policies is someone A creates them and then someone B enforces, enforces them. Yeah. And what what we had a front row seat to was how one policy about a mask could just spiral out of control into people screaming at you, you know, that you don't have a mask on, you're killing babies. I'm on a hiking trail and I'm getting a ticket because I'm on the beach in, in California. And the the way in which these policies end up being enforced is is literally the, I mean, it's the, the, the birth of totalitarianism. And look, when you hear somebody like a Klaus Schwab if you if you eliminate the fact that he sounds like a Batman villain just when he talks, like, <laughs> like come on, dude, could you at least try to not make me be a conspiracy theorist like that? Even your vibe, man, is it is so Hunger Games, yeah, right now. But if you even eliminate that, like, okay, what he's talking about, equality, you know, co- cooperation, they're not. These are good desires for us to have. I would argue that at the core of humanity. We all want those same things, and the problem with it is that at the core of humanity, we're all plagued by the very things that make those things not happen. Like, the fact that they are all genuinely shocked that 10 years later at Davos that these countries that we thought were going to be on board with us are, are suddenly not on board with us. It, it's like the virologist who knows everything about uh, a, a virus, but nothing about the human condition. These guys know everything about finance and apparently nothing about the human condition. You know, one of the things that they were blasting in this piece yesterday was uh, countries like the United States, by uh, creating the move to nationalism to make semiconductors in the United States was actually considered a bad thing, not a good thing. Like the idea that our corporations are saying, you know what, maybe we don't need to be making iPhones in China and move to India, move manufacturing back home. Like That's actually a negative in the mind of the World Economic Forum, not a positive. Now, keeping in mind, nobody had any plan for how do we keep making this stuff if China shuts us off. You know, we have to trust that there's one guy in Russia, one guy in China, one guy in North Korea, like the, the, the entire world can, is made, you know, right now the decisions of one guy could change a lot. And they're somehow dramatically shocked by that. But the, it's the beauty of the Bible, man, is that God, the God who wrote the Bible also wrote the code in humanity and he knows where it went wrong in the garden and that we're not going to find our way there by force. If we try it by force, it, it literally... It's happened over and over again. It'll happen again where it devolves into violence and totalitarianism. It's why the church is so important right now. And not just a church. Like the spirit-filled John 7, this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, which was yet to come, Holy Spirit-powered church. I mean, yeah, right now is not unlike what was going on in John 7 when, you know, he is appearing and the disciples are wanting to— wanting him to show himself like, you know, open a can right now and take care of business. Like right. show them who you are. And he's kind of like, not yet. My time's not, it's not here yet. Just give it a second. Yeah. Like I'm putting it in place. It's not unlike kind of what we're experiencing now. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's the time has not yet come. And for you, any time will do. If you remember the verses from the sermon, like, you, I think it was last week. Like for you guys, any time will do. But for me, there's a time that where there's there's a time schedule, and the return of Christ in our present age, there's a time schedule for this. Um, I'm looking at it going now. Now would be a great time, but there's a time, and so 
and, and when you start, by the way, you start reading the news and cross-referencing it with your Bible. Yeah. Like, oh man, maybe, maybe they knew something. Maybe God really did know something was, was coming. So he, he tells us in the word, Hey, when you see these things, he told his disciples, when you see these signs, like, don't despair, look up for your hope draws near. We live in an exciting time. I mean, it's, there's crazy stuff happening, but it's, it's not crazy. It's demonic. I've said it before. When you hear paradox, that's often where God is found. You know, did God choose me or did I choose him? Yes, that's a paradox. But when you see madness, that's demonic. The idea that a man can have a baby, that's madness. That's demonic. When you see the idea of globalization through forced, through economic, you know, forced uh, uh, totalitarianism, whatever they want to call it, uh, that's demonic. That's not. There will be a globalization one day. That's Jesus returning. The government, Isaiah says, will be on his shoulders. It won't be forced. It will be, wow, this is perfect. This is right. This is good. And our sin natures will be forever gone. That's the only way. That's the only world in which true globalization could occur is in a world where the sin nature is gone. And that's the world that's not yet here. And a lot of these things are that are being put into place by organizations like the WEF that point us to globalization and uh, a unified globe. They're paving a way for a savior, and it's not ours. Like it's not our savior. <laughs> like they, yeah. it's paving a way for someone to enter the scene to take care of business. One hundred percent, and. You know, who knows when this person comes on the scene. But the one thing, you know, he will conquer by peace is the prophecy, um, which is an ironic thing. Conquering and peace seem yeah. inconclusive. But if it's an economic strategy, I could see how that could play out and in a weird way. China right now is conquering the world through peace because they're not firing any bullets over there. They're firing a lot of money at the world. So you can see how that can happen. And, and, and look, I'm not saying that Klaus Schwab is antichrist because uh, he, I feel like he's been, he it's looks like he's been dead. Like weekend at Bernie's, <laughs> it's like they're just rolling him out. Maybe he's, I don't know, maybe he's an AI generated uh, thing right now. But, um, but, but that is a path in which... Like they, here's what they're saying right now: the the world is in turmoil. The world is falling apart, and the only hope is globalization. That is a biblical idea that they are perverting for demonic purposes, because that is Satan's goal as well. And uh, the good news, the great news, is that Jesus, when it happens, when he returns. It will happen in a peaceful way. And in the meantime, we get to be conduits of the Holy Spirit to the community in front of us and the world around us. Yeah, we, you know, we talk about a lot of these subjects um, and in those that maybe, you know, read and study and keep up with all of this on the daily, man, you can become pretty dehydrated from all of the, the terrible news and all of the things that are seem to be forthcoming and that are daunting um, and can be scary. Um, but if you're constantly immersing yourself in, in global news, social, political, geopolitical um, news feeds, like it, it will dehydrate you. Yeah. Like there's just no way to keep up and to be, to be thinking properly, to have a uh, a right mind, <laughs> like it will, you'll start getting dizzy from dehydration. Yeah. Um, and what I mean by that is, like, we need to the that same thirst for for news and information, and because we want all that so that we have clarity and we can prepare ourselves and we know what's coming. But if we're not staying in the Word, and we're not staying um, in right relationship with the Lord through prayer through communion, through community and fellowship, like, man, we can get super dehydrated in our hearts and minds 
So it's a caution. Like while this information is good for us to talk about and share and and strategize and how the church can can help lead the way um, and evangelize, it's it's also a caution for us to to not get completely caught up in all of that all of the time. Yeah, it's like letting the information ignorance is bliss for a reason. You know, but it doesn't if you if we're completely ignorant of all these things, there there are those that are called to at least be aware of what's happening. But then there's well, what do we do about it? And right. And that's where John 7, the Holy Spirit, like the, the he said these rivers of living water would flow from within us. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit, which was yet to come. That was the parentheses because John was writing this after that. And it almost indicates it at the moment. Like John, nobody knew what he was talking about in that moment. And then after Acts 1, they're like, oh, that's what he meant. The Holy Spirit. Like that, that's what he was talking about. The rivers of living water that will flow from within us. Because that's the, the need that we all have. And I would say, I, I know it is true. Like that's the human condition is we're born thirsty. We're born needy. And so spending our lives on behalf of trying to you know, quench that thirst with you know, money, with careers, with, you know, you know, when you talk about a guy like Bill Gates or Klaus Schwab, they don't need more money at this point. So what the heck are they doing? And they're, they're still they're still thirsty, man. They're still trying to fill that hole. And so for if you're Bill Gates, it's like if I can save the world through vaccines, you know, there's a purpose and a meaning behind that that he is thirsty for that clearly on all levels of life we have. And if we start the pursuit of purpose and meaning with thirst and Quenching that on anything else but Jesus and the Holy Spirit through us, it ends poorly for us. One of the things you kind of brought out was um, on Sunday during the teaching was how hunger can be associated with desire and thirst associated with need. Kind of the, the differences between the two. Yeah. If, if you remember, I think it's chapter four, Jesus said that my meat, my food is to complete the mission that he gave me to do, finish it. Like so, his the, his mission was the uh, the the sus the food that he needed to keep. It's how we keep going around here. We we know that if we do church here and we do it well, that people's lives are saved in Asia. You know, slaves are freed in Asia. But if we do our job here, which means we'll, that that will power us through really hard times because there's a purpose for what we're doing. So the but even in our culture, the idea of hunger, when you think about hunger, it's actually a positive connotation attached to it. Uh, I'm hungry. I, I, you know, we wrote songs about that in the, in the 80s. I believe Hart had one of those, <laughs> hungry, you know, hungry like a wolf. Um, but in our modern context, that's actually considered a positive. Thirst is actually been portrayed in a negative these days. Like uh, someone who is, you know, young and sexually on the prowl is considered thirsty. Uh, the guys that, you know, and look, who knows? If I had abs, maybe maybe I'd be posting without my shirt too, but, you know, whatever. They're called thirst traps. Like, But it's a, it's a negative, not a positive. Like, it's a pejorative insult to somebody to be thirsty. Uh, it's considered feminine and, you know, emasculating and but at the core of it is because it's attached with hunger is attached with desire, which is a good thing. Thirst is attached to need and we are needy creatures. And even when I say that out loud, I, I, I'm a needy, I'm born needy. I hate that word. Like I, I hate that word need. I do not want to be in need. I don't like need. It feels negative. But, you know, talking about your baby, grandbaby, be born with a need and a need like that, that he cannot so he cannot fill that need without the help of someone else, and especially in a Western culture. The idea that I can't do this on my own, that I need someone else, I hate that. But it's true. No, that's really good. Hunger especially kind of invokes this idea of like pursuit, like a passion for, like I hunger yeah. for these things, like a drive, um, forward motion, like you, you know, you want to figure it out. Um, yeah. And you're right. Like thirsty sounds like, you know, 
it does have this weird negative connotation in our culture of being of being like super needy and, and whiny. <laughs> but the th- but the hunger, but he he also says hunger and thirst for righteousness. Like he combines those mm-hmm. that we would hunger and thirst for these things. And I think it just it's a reminder that it's dependence, right? Like we would just depend upon him for all things. Yeah. It's because we are dependent on him for all things. That's the thing about Jesus is like, like he wasn't saying it because he wants you to be thirsty for him, for the Holy Spirit, for God. He's saying it because we are. Yeah, that's good. It's true. And we just, the sooner we admit that that's what we've been thirsting for our whole lives, the better it is for us. You know, it's, he, he'll, and he, he doesn't force us. He's, but the sooner we admit that. So, because what I love about the way that he even phrased this in John 7 was that he didn't say there, anyone who thirsts for God, come unto me. Anyone who thirsts, that's it, period. Anyone who thirsts, come unto me, and I will give you what you actually are thirsting for, right? The, the water of the presence, the Holy Spirit, the, the, the presence of God. That's what we're thirsty for, and we despise it until we admit that that's what it is. And it's what made these people angry because he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm the one. Uh, and they're like, whoa, 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 I know what you're, you're making a claim for. But he's saying it to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were thirsty. And they were quenching their thirst by rules and regulations and policies and procedures because their thirst and there was manif- like manifesting in a need for control. Uh, a control they could never have. A control that no, no amount of rules, they would ever get enough rules to be able to quench their thirst. Uh, which then manifest in power and f- most people who thirst and it manifests like f- in, in the form of power are actually afraid. So they're trying to control because I'm afraid if I don't have any control over this, so I'm going to try to control and pe- we do that as parents. Uh, so if that's a sin for us is to, I'm going to control everything, everything my child sees, everything, every nutrient that goes into the body and, so we take a good thing, a thirst for making sure my child is taken care of, but then my negative thirst is, and I'm going to try to control everything that happens in their life, which is an impossible thing to begin with. And we will, con- which is why you end up dehydrated. You're trying to control something that you can't control. You're quenching your thirst with something that doesn't quench your thirst. And Jesus is saying, if you're thirsty, come to him. And then the water not only goes into you, it flows through you. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit in our individual lives, in our church lives, and, you know, someday in our government when Jesus returns. You ever been dehydrated? Like, just wrung out dehydrated. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I've been in, I've spent weeks in Haiti. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, it's easy to get. Like, so dehydrated that when you uh, go to, like, when you pee, it sizzles. (laughs) No, it's not good. <laughs> There's like a sizzling sound. It's like, well, that's very orange. I remember the first time I I had like a, a heat, I had a heat stroke one time. Okay, tell me, boy. So I've heard of the heat stroke. What is it? Like, how does it, like, what does it mean? It's not good. It's, it means you're so dehydrated. and It's like your engine, like in your car, has overheated. And it's like shutting everything down and sending any remaining... Uh, sustenance and energy to your brain <laughs> to stay awake uh, in your heart. It sends it to your heart. So yeah, I remember I was, I was playing. It was like church camp years ago, high school. We're playing volleyball. We're like in the championship round against the church across the street. You know how it goes. This was an, were you guys denied? Were you, this was post IFB. No, this was no. so this is independent fundamentalist Baptist ball. Yes, yes, volleyball, sand volleyball. Summer camp, circa '96. In okay, wait, back up. So, sand volleyball with IFB were the women like wearing like dresses down to the. No, I think you have a different, different uh, suits and ties. The guys idea are wearing. of what we what we looked like. <laughs> I don't know. I see the occasionally like an IFB guy will come across my feed, and it's they're all really mad about something. Well, yeah, but if we're playing, you know, we're playing outside. Like we can wear regular clothes. It's fine. But they're very competitive, which, I mean, stands true. I'm very competitive. But we're playing outside. It's like 110 degrees in summer. And I remember just like this tunnel vision. Like I can't feel my fingers and I can't feel my toes and then I can't feel my arms. And then 
next thing I know, I'm like laying on the ground, staring at the sky, like what is happening? Can see everybody, but I can't hear anything, can't smell anything, having a hard time breathing, and then like that, like that, the tunnel vision where everything goes black all the way to this fine pinpoint dot and then you're just out. So you pass out. Oh, completely. I mean, you're out. Like, you are slumped. And uh, it's not a good thing because your body is just trying to stay, al- not alive, but awake. But it's 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 a critical situation. So you are not conscious at this point. Correct. Does anybody perform CPR on you? <laughs> no. I'm still breathing. Uh, but, no, they scooped me up and then took me over to the nearest cabin, turned the shower on, stuck me in the shower, uh, in, with cold water to get me to wake up and cool down. I basically overheated. Is that what you do for heat stroke? Yeah, you're trying to cool your core down because you're way overheated so it's, and it's dehydrated. A, but so, but it's awful. But they're pouring water on you, not in you. Both. They're doing both. Like okay. I'm like chugging water, and they got cold water on me. Like it's like gotta happen so did you like wake up in the shower or like, like yeah I'm like where, where, where what am just I? happened why am i in a cold shower <laughs> cold shower oh man yeah and so so yeah i've learned you know since then you know you gotta pay attention to things which is which is why it's so easy for us like in the spiritual like we can get so caught up and so dialed into uh, to all these different topics and things within our friend groups. And we got to be in the know for, you know, how, what, what, what this legislation is or what this thing is or what this politician said. And are we aware that this could be happening behind the scenes? And we get so caught up in all of these things that our system starts to shut down and we mm. were fried. Yeah, because we're running in the heat, but without the hydration of the spirit. In that's us. right. That's good, Mo. That's right. You should, you should write that down. That was really good. And... So it's just a reminder. I mean, that comes from John chapter seven. It happens to be the chapter we're in that yeah. we that we would stay uh, that we would stay focused. That we would drink in His Word. That we would drink in the Spirit to lead us and guide us through those conversations and what we intake. Um, that allows us to speak life into things and give us some caution and and some wisdom mm-hmm. as we're having these conversations because yeah. it's really it, it is really easy to get overwhelmed right now. There's a lot happening in the world. Yeah, and the two options, right? Ignore it, pretend it's not. Other one, get completely overwhelmed by it. You know, the th- the third way, which is the Holy Spirit way, is not be ignorant. Don't be ignorant of these things. And be full of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 3. A f- Spirit-filled Jesus follower can live in whatever circumstance, whether you're, like Paul said, I have had much, I have little, I've been in prison, I've been free. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that, and I can't do all things, but in this, with the power of the spirit, uh, I can. And that's the need right now in the world is, um, I, I, I titled the the message, you know, stay thirsty, my friends, the, Dos, the Doseki guy, uh, <laughs> which... It went over pretty good. Um, but we are thirsty. Um, keep that, keep that. The, and when you think about it, what does that even mean to, you know, to, to hydrate in the spirit? And the Old Testament, the presence of God and the spirit of God were actually synonymous. When they spoke of the presence of God, they spoke of the spirit of God. And so you know, in Exodus, the, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, Moses said, hey, I, I, I want to, you're calling me to go to Canaan, but I'm not going without you. And God said, okay, I will, and here's he, he what we're going to do. You're going to build this tabernacle, this tent, and in the tent there's going to be this uh, Ark of the Covenant, this, uh, this uh, two angels over the top, and over the top is where the presence of God would uh, would exist. We, you know, the charismatics love the word Shekinah glory, but that's what it was, the Hebrew word, Shekinah glory was the presence of God. Um, David later would say that that Psalm 139, you know, cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. They were one and the same. Jesus' promise here is that we are now that tabernacle and that presence of God now exists in us. Not in some weird, ethereal, Hindu, Richard Rohr, ethereal, Christ consciousness way 
but in a the person of the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And staying in that presence, you know, I'm not saying it's hours a day, you know, but a daily encounter where, you know, I'm just, it's a constant awareness of the thereness of God inside of me. And that is where the power comes from. It's where our fuel comes from. It's where our thirst is quenched. And he does it in a way where then it doesn't just quench our thirst, but now we are conduits of that spirit to everyone around us. And what a privilege that is to get to be that, like in our daily lives. And I know for me, I can tell when I have not been in his presence for a stretch. I'm cranky. I'm anxious. I'm afraid. What, as opposed to, you know, and it's I've noticed it, and I just actually connected this thought. Is probably why, like when I'm in developing nations, okay, and there's a lot going on. There's a lot to be afraid of. There's a lot of risk. I'm definitely, I'm in his presence a lot in those days, and there's. Mission trip, Darren, is different than, you know what I mean, than Franklin, Darren. It's true. I've experienced both. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it's, I don't know, it's like a mission trip, Darren, you know, my wife will say, man, I, you, you're smiling all the time. You're, uh, and it's not like, uh, it's uh, clearly it's not because I'm in, you know, we are not staying at uh, all-inclusive resorts in Uganda, you know. But I am definitely in a place where, God wants me to be, but through the power of his spirit, you know, I'm ready to fight, ready to flight, whatever, whatever, what he wants me to do. Like I'm ready to go. And we actually have access that to that here. We just have all these options to distract us from it. Uh, so yeah, you're, we're running out disconnected from the source. There's not going to be any water if we're not connected to the source. I remember my first trip with you to Haiti. Um, <laughs> It was, man, shell shock, like culture shock, shell shock, like the the depravity of just outside of Port-au-Prince is, it will, just, it will just change your perspective on about everything. Yeah, just outside the airport, basically, because once you get out of the airport, it's just debauchery and depravity. And I remember, I mean, I was on high alert, like all systems were completely engaged you know, I'm looking over every shoulder. I'm looking behind me, in front of me, and it's just extreme chaos. Yeah, I don't know how how else to describe it. And I remember uh-huh. you saying, "Like, Mo, you just gotta embrace the chaos." It's yeah. The actual language is submit to the chaos. submit to the chaos. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's hard to do. Yeah. Well, the submission is that is really an admission that uh, nothing here is in my control. And the sooner I let go of that, the happier I'm going to be. I don't know if you've ever, I actually, I know this is true. You've never broken a horse. Um, Correct. Yeah. I, uh, little white trash kids were so dispensable where I grew up that, you know, not only were we shoveling poop from sale barns, but they'd throw us up on horses that weren't broke yet. Um because, you know, whatever, we break our neck, they just go get another white trash kid. I've worked. It's uh, terrible. I know. It's, but I didn't know that at the time. I just thought that's what we're supposed to do. But the sooner that horse uh, realizes that the guy that's got his back is not there to hurt him and just relaxes, the better it is for him. Yeah. And so when you're in a place like Haiti, every time you say something like, well, why don't they just... Why don't they just put the concrete here instead of us carrying it all the way up this mountain? And then, you know, why don't they just... Why don't they just put up a stop sign? Why don't they just stop <laughs> at a stop sign? Yeah. The, every one of those why don't they's are just a buck against the chaos. Yeah. And the sooner I realize that's just how it's going to be, the sooner I can relax and rest. Because it's the, the why don't they's are really exhausting because it doesn't fix anything. And the answer is they don't know. Yeah. And they ain't changing. And... It, I've I've figured that out probably I don't know like my fourth year in and uh, and now it's like okay I don't know why they don't do it either but I know this the Holy Spirit has me here for a reason and watching work with it it's like there's just a real peace in that well conveniently that that advice is actually really good for us on the daily 
I mean, submitting to the chaos that's all around us. Yeah. Um, it looks way different than actual Haiti, but just the chaos in our lives, whether it's relationships, whether it's, you know, work situations, like whatever it is and stuff in the news, um, a lot of us are dealing with the chaos at some level mm-hmm. and just submitting to kind of what's happening and being led by the Holy Spirit, uh, letting the Spirit flow through us and guide us and direct us should should give us some calm. Yeah. And I think that what was really helpful for me in even the presence of God and what that means to be filled with the Spirit. And if you view the Holy Spirit as uh, like a gas like helium um, that fills up the space that's in it, then you're going to think in terms of, uh, you know, or you're going to think in terms of craziness like Richard Rohr because it's like this Christ consciousness that it's everywhere. But the Holy Spirit is referred to multiple times and whenever there is a, it's a, a he, there is, there is a person, this is the person of God in us. And so my relationship with my wife is not like a helium gas that I have to, you know, be filled with that. It's a relationship. And the way that I, you know, be filled with a relationship with my wife is that I spend time with her. I spend time listening to her. I spend time, you know, and so us in imperfect form, that relationship and that love grows. And it's weird because I'm at 28 years, I genuinely can say I love her more than I did at year one. And when I think of, you know, a younger version of Darren with the Holy Spirit, I would think, well, I already have all the Holy Spirit I'm ever going to get. There is no more. I got it all. Uh, That is a misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit is. It's not that I get more of the Holy Spirit. I get more from the Holy Spirit because now the relationship is happening. He knows me. I know him. The more I know God's character, the more time I spend with him, that's what is being filled with the Spirit being filled with him and the fuel of that, then it put the natural inclination is then it just pours out from us. Wow. Well, I hope you were encouraged by this today. I hope you were encouraged to maybe, um, take a drink of the living water today and, and hydrate in his word. Um, and maybe you're, you're in this season with us through prayer and fasting and you, you needed some encouragement as you're in about a week and a half in, and uh, hope you found hope you found that today. Found some encouragement to to stay focused, to stay in the Word, to um, stay in His presence. Let it guide you. Let it lead you. And uh, we look forward to coming back together again next week. 